0: From Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode one hundred and forty-two. Today's show is brought to you by MailRoute, Pem nine from Smile, and Encapsula. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell.
1: Don't panic. Sorry, it's one forty-two, so I have to do a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy reference. Oh, of course, one forty-two. Do. Increment. so there it is don't panic always know where your towel is mike always know
0: where your towel is i would be crazy to know to. uh jason matthew wants to know for hashtag snell talk what is your most anticipated movie or tv show for this coming year
1: it's funny i was just uh watching the first episode of twin peaks which i probably wouldn't have said anticipated because i sort of as a, somebody who was a really into that show when it was on 25 years ago i uh I'm actually, I was concerned about this being really bad, Mm -hmm. but having watched the first 20 minutes, it seems to be exactly the same as what the old show was, which is weird and slow and deliberately frustrating the viewer. And I was like, all right, good. It's not, it hasn't disappointed me yet. Anyway, it wouldn't count because I took this to mean in the next year, starting today, starting right now in the next year of the things that I know about, what's the thing that I'm anticipating the most? At this point, I will refer to you to this weekend's episode of uh, The Incomparable that was just posted, which is all about our deconstruction of the trailer for the brand new Star Trek show, Star Trek Discovery. So mm-hmm. that is my most anticipated thing. In the next year, this fall, there will be a new Star Trek TV show, and I am excited about it.
0: How long has it been since there's been a Star Trek TV show? I don't know when Enterprise went off the air. A long time though, right? Like this many, many, many years. Uh,
1: more than a decade. 2005 okay. uh, Enterprise went off the air. 2005. So yeah, so 12 years, 12 plus years since the last Star Trek TV show. It's the longest gap, um, you know, basically since the original gap between Star Trek and Star Trek The Next Generation. So that was 17 years. 16, 18 years? Something like that.
0: I've never seen Twin Peaks. It's weird. And I've never really wa- I've never watched Star Trek shows uh, desirably. I just assume you haven't seen yeah. anything. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> i just i just go with
1: that as the default twin Peaks was a was a real phenomenon at the time even when there was no social media or anything like that it was it was a uh, a, a rapidly rising kind of fan culture. I yeah. went to a diner in San Diego to watch episodes of that with people who were fans of the show to watch it as it aired on huh. ABC. I have a coffee mug I still have. I took. I tweeted a picture of it the other day of uh, that a friend of mine got when he visited Snoqualmie, uh, Washington, which is where they shot a lot of the exteriors of the show. And uh, Twin Peaks Coffee Break Mug. Still have it. And now tw- 25 years later, it's back. It's a weird show. It, it was weird at the time. It was so unlike anything on TV. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how they did uh, this year or the show this this time. But it looks it looks appropriately weird. So they, at least they got that going for it.
0: I really don't want to be that guy. And I'm so sorry to ask. But 25 years ago, how did you even find out that something like, like an event like that was going on?
1: Well, you know... 25 years ago, the media landscape in the United States, at least, was so flattened that there were three (laughs) networks. I don't know if Fox even counted at that point. Broadcast television networks. And everything they showed, it was easy to be aware of everything that was on. But Twin Peaks was a phenomenon. It got great ratings when it premiered. And the, uh, the, the question of who killed Laura Palmer that drove the first year and a bit of the show was um was a real zeitgeist kind of moment for television so it was it just it spread it spread word of mouth and people tuned in for the pilot cuz they were intrigued by the promotion for it i guess and it just kind of kept going and then yeah i just heard from somebody that or maybe we even saw it in an article in a, in a newspaper that there were fans gathering at this at this diner cuz a diner is a main set in the uh, in twin peaks and they were watching the show and i thought that would be fun and i went with some people to do that a couple of times and yeah it was it was a and we had like viewing parties at 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 college, too, in somebody's apartment, they'll be like, come on over, we're all going to watch this. And, you know, you get 10, 12 people sitting in a living room watching a show together. It was pretty pretty wild stuff, but it was definitely of the moment in the early 90s.
0: If you have a question you would like us to talk about at the start of this show, just send a tweet with the hashtag #SnellTalk, and we'll include it. Let's do some follow-up. I saw today that there are some new Nike Plus bands, Jason. Uh, These are all, there's four colors. They're going on sale uh, at the start of June for $49 each. Um, They're all solid colors this time, Um, I think, with the include, uh, actually not completely solid, but they're not like massively uh, contrasting colors, you know, like between the holes and the band right so like mm-hmm. they are there are like a gray a blue a purple and a darker blue and they're meant to represent day to night so like a day to night schedule they 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 all uh, are to mirror a color of the sky and the the holes you know like got the holes in the Nike plus bands the colors that they're filled in with are less like clashing this time so that doesn't stand out so much these look really nice and uh, they're going to be limited edition at select Nike stores um, apple stores and at apple.com so go check those out Great, if you're interested one, nice. one of us one of us is very interested in in watch bands and the other one of us is not so great I haven't bought any in a while though so no these ones these ones whilst they look nice um, I'm not so interested in the sport bands anymore yeah we're a couple of weeks away from WWDC um, so not only are our topics pretty much focused on that um, over the over this week and coming weeks and previous weeks, of course. So is our follow up. A couple of things that I want to let our listeners know about Jason. Um, the first off is uh, a second a second meetup that Relay FM is going to be putting on. So we had a meetup. Uh, the tickets sold out incredibly quickly. And we have a really large waiting list. So we've teamed up with the Women at WWDC organization to host a meetup at the App Camp for Girls benefit that they have every year. Um, so this is the City National Civic. It's going to be on June the 7th, 7 p.m. Uh, the tickets that you have to buy tickets for this, but their money supports a great cause, which is App Camp for Girls. So you'll be able to go to that event and we're going to have a little section in side of the City National Civic, which is going to be dedicated for a Real AFM meetup. So there's going to be a bunch of hosts there who will be in attendance. Uh, we'll be there, so come and say hi, and you'll be able to feel good for supporting a really, really great cause. There'll be links in the show notes to for you to go and get yourself a ticket for that, so come and say hi. And maybe the most important news of the season next week will be the upgrade keynote draft for WWDC 2017. So we are frantically now putting together our list of rumors that we will be able to pick from for our draft. There will be rules next week. There are rules. We have instituted a series of rules to try and make the, uh, the, the, the drafts as drafty as they can be.
1: Well, it's that sort of thing of does it, does it get mentioned on stage versus mm-hmm. is there a silent press release? And we've got all those rules. And, and uh, they will be enforced by Stephen Hackett Yep, uh, in person enforced yep. right because we're all going to be at WWdc so he will be able to tick off as the keynote is going on you know yes Jason yes Mike you know and then uh, we can ar- argue about it a little bit but Stephen will be there to be the ultimate decider yeah we and cannot
0: that basically Stephen's role is in if me and Jason cannot come to an agreement on something then we go to Stephen as uh, our right. adjudicator to, to right because us. if we can
1: if if we can work it out amongst ourselves, I think that's that's fine. We don't need to have him. The worst thing would be if he came in and made a decision that we dis- both disagreed with. <laughs>
0: <So>. Exactly. <laughs> uh, nobody so wants that. Nobody wants that. So that's why we uh, we have we have him as an adjudicator. But if you have any suggestions of rumors for us to include, uh, tweet them to me. I'm at imike, I-M-Y-K-E on Twitter. Um, cause I'm going to be collecting those up, and then me and Jason will make our silent choices. Of uh, We need to decide how many rounds we're going to have. We haven't done that yet. Um, and then uh, we'll be doing our picks next week. Yep. All right. This week's episode is brought to you by our friends at Encapsula, the multi function content delivery network that boosts the performance of your website, protects it from denial of service attacks, and secures it from bad guys whilst ensuring high availability. To activate your Encapsula service, the protection that you want for your site, all you need to do is is make a small change to your DNS. You don't need to install any hardware or software. This isn't super difficult. It's ready to go whenever you are. And once you've done this, you will have access to Encapsular's global network, which has 30 data centers with 3 terabits A bandwidth behind them. This network will stop any attack traffic, making sure that any denial of service attacks or bad guys will never hit your servers. Meanwhile, it's also caching your content, optimizing connections as well using their powerful CDN so your users will get your content lightning fast. And you can see everything working on Encapsula's dashboard where you'll get a live traffic view of your site with the ability to create custom rules to meet your exact needs. As a listener of this show, you can get one whole month of service absolutely free all you need to do is go to encapsulacom upgrade that's i-n-c-a-p-s-u-l-a.com slash upgrade this is where you can find out more and claim your free month thank you so much to Encapsula for their support of this show and relay fm so last week we were talking about some potential hardware that may be on stage at wwdc right we were talking about siri and a can and we were talking about the 10.5-inch iPad, which have both been rumored by Ming-Chi Kuo of KGI Securities. Well, since the episode is posted, (laughs) uh, Mark Gurman and Alex Webb at Bloomberg, they have proposed the idea that they, from from sources who may be familiar with the matter, that Apple will be refreshing their laptop line at WWDC as well. This would include a new version of the 12-inch MacBook, Uh, The current MacBook Pros, they will receive faster Kaby Lake processors, along with some potential other changes, but definitely the Kaby Lakes is what they're saying, and possibly new processors in the 13-inch MacBook Air. Nothing else changed, but new processors in the Mm. MacBook Air. The argument that they have made is that they are trying to compete with Microsoft's current offerings. (laughs) Now, on this front... (laughs) Jason, allow me to, to see if I can 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 try and extract what they're getting at here, because okay. obviously they are not trying to compete on sales here. Because I'm pretty sure, I mean, I don't have numbers, but just historic numbers and just anecdotally what you see out in the world, Apple will just like walking the floor, like walking the floor and cleaning the floor with Microsoft <sighs> t- sales of these products, right? Like. M- macbooks and macbook pros you know we don't know what the
1: surface laptop will sell like though that is the first real like not weird tablet convertible thing that they've done in that Mm -hmm. line so i I think it's just a timing argument the idea that apple is is going to ship presumably systems in mid-june because microsoft made an announcement in may is ludicrous because that's not enough time to do that um it 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 Is That strikes me as being a very narrative, you know, layer of narrative frosting on top of this story. Like, how do we connect all these dots and make it seem like it's part of an ongoing narrative? They put in the Microsoft response thing. I think it might be a response to all the criticism of Apple not updating its products especially its laptops uh as often as it should i think that's reasonable i I think that this may be a reaction to apple learning that the way it was handling this was uh, a mistake and they were they were being rebuked by people in the market but as as the idea that apple saw the the um surface laptop and went oh no what do we have can we put some new chips
0: and things i come on so the the, what I, well, the way I read this, or the way that I think about this, and the only way that I could assume that this is in response to Microsoft at all is just to change the PR narrative a little bit. Sure. Right? Like, like, Apple has received criticism for their laptop offering. Microsoft is receiving praise. So, like, they may have had this stuff, like, nearly ready, but didn't want to pollute WWDC with it, but now they're like, spend five minutes, put it on a slide, and it's there.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's possible. That's the sort of thing you can do, but the, the, the products have to be there. The products with the updates have to be there. And if this is an impetus to ship them at a particular time or announce them at a particular time, fair enough. I mean, I definitely, when I wrote my piece the other week about comparing the Surface laptop to Apple stuff, it was very clear that the strongest argument was they need to be refreshed, right? It's not that, oh, Microsoft got you. You can't catch up. It's like, no, you're out of step. Microsoft's got a one step ahead because they've got the newer processors, and if you refresh your product line, you could probably, if you're Apple, get back in line and have it not be an issue anymore. That this is this is all true. It, it's um, you know, it's just a better story that way. And and I think maybe the way to really say it is everybody kind of caught Apple sleeping, and then Microsoft releases products in that category, and everybody says, "See, Apple is sleeping." But it's more, uh, you know, that's not quite cause and effect there, but. Um, I'm intrigued by this story um, there are two aspects of it there there's what Apple is doing here and there's the WWdc question which is actually feeds into our more esoteric keynote bingo uh, issue which is if Apple did this how would they do it and then separately like I said the what of it what 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 is this that they would be doing and they're both interesting
0: questions I think yeah I don't know how I feel about this one, honestly. <laughs> Search your feelings, Mike. I, I just think that if it if all it is is processor updates, like that's pretty much all it is going to be for the Pro line. I don't I don't know <clears throat> I don't know if I see them putting it on stage.
1: The wording of the the twelve inch MacBook is new version, right? So it might be. It might be something more substantive. But if you think about how Apple does most of their presentations, and the WWDC presentation is a little bit different, but they're all still in the ballpark. There is usually an update section where they talk about all the product lines before they sort of dive into the details. uh, They try to give you kind of a a status report on other stuff that's going on at the company. And that can be uh, an an area that they want to highlight. It can be, we're going to talk about accessibility or we're going to talk about health. It could be, we're going to talk about environmental stuff and sustainability. Uh, but they also will say, let me tell you how Apple Watch is doing. Now, because this is WWC and there are going to be platform introductions, right? There is a basic level of like Mac OS, iOS, watch OS. And I would argue probably the Apple Watch goes into the watch OS section because there's not a lot there. That Those are going to be the big topics of the day, right? Because that that's the uh, OS rollout opportunity. And tvOS. Uh, easy to forget, but still important. Sorry, Apple TV. Uh, tv os as well right they're going to talk about the platforms totally going to do that but they have the opportunity at the beginning to say let me tell you how our mac hardware business is doing right and within that i think it is not unreasonable that you can slide in a product announcement like you could say hey People love... Again, I'm going to do like I did on Six Colors last week when I wrote a fake introduction for the Siri speaker. Um, Like in dialogue of Tim Cook and Phil Schiller, which was really weird, but it was kind of fun to do it. Fan fiction for Apple. Um, uh, They would say like, people love the MacBook. It's great. It's the best thing ever. People love it, right? Because that's what they always do. And they're like, but you know... We thought it could be better, and people had some complaints, and uh, we took them to heart. And uh, And today we're announcing that there's a whole new uh, MacBook that's even better because it's got fill in the blank. If they if they really have something that's a little bit different, it's got two ports. <laughs> it's got Thunderbolt support. Whatever it is that whatever it is that it's got, if they've got something that's substantially different, they could say that. And then in passing, they could probably say, also, we've heard the feedback. We know you want the latest and greatest Intel processors. So today, the new MacBook Pros with Touch Bar are shipping with new Kaby Lake processors. And the MacBook Air, which continues to be an incredibly popular product with a certain set of customers, is being updated to the latest Intel Core i 5 and i7 processors yay moving on right i mean that's all it takes right is that they spend two minutes or three minutes on the macbook if it if it truly is a uh a sort of second generation body model instead of just a speed bump and then they they just mention in an aside, because I think you wouldn't just relegate it to a press release. I think you'd mention it as an aside, because it's an applause line, right? Developers are going to applause if you say the MacBook Pros that we shipped last fall have just gotten turned over again with new processor generations. They know what that means, and they care about that. So that's an applause line. You wouldn't forego applause on stage, right? You want the applause. So I could see that. And then if the MacBook is just a speed bump of the MacBook, then I still can see that in the Mac line, you'd say... You'd say, today, you know, we're we're making all three of these uh, products better with new processors. Yay. Everybody applaud. And then, you know, and maybe they say, yeah, and, you know, we're working on a new Mac Pro, too, and that's coming because we love you. Moving on, right? They There's room in there to do that and not make a big deal about it. It's not going to be like... Twenty minutes about a new MacBook—that's not going to happen. But they could totally take five minutes to a, an anxious developer crowd who's probably a little frustrated with the pace of the, the the change in the tools they use to develop software to get a little applause for saying we're we're gonna we're gonna show your product line some more love now.
0: So one other um, story that could be told with this. You know the, the 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 thought around Apple this year has been like, what are they doing? Like, what is going on? And WWDC, you know, we said this, I think I said this last week, it's the beginning of the year, right? Yeah. And it is a time where under the right circumstances, they can just blow us away. And I think of maybe it two years ago when Swift was announced, there was just so much stuff. Right, sure. In in that announcement, and we were like, uh, they could do this and be like, great. Here is all this stuff we're doing on software on all of the all of the platforms. Here are all these things we're doing on the iPad. Fingers crossed. Um, and like, oh, and by the way, here is this whole new Siri thing that we're doing. Oh, and also here is a new iPad. A new Siri in a can. We're refreshing all of the MacBook lines. We're going to give you a tinted bit more information about the MacBook Pro. Oh, and here's some changes we're making to the way that we deal with developers. Like, and just totally blow our hair back, right? Mm-hmm. And then we continue with the rest of the year that way. Like, this would be if, like, I kind of imagine like if they have anything to say about a line, they'll say it because it will give them a real kind of way to change the the, the way that we're thinking about Apple right now? Sure. Change the narrative, absolutely. If they can just come in and be like, oh, but BT dubs, we've done everything on everything. And then Mm -hmm. we move on from there.
1: Let the year begin. Let the the operating system uh, turnover begin now.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Could be a way of doing it. And I mean,
1: and that's why I say the question is not really um, how would they do it
0: or would they do it? The question is, will they do it? And if so, why, right? Like, you know, will they do it? If so, why will they do it? And I guess that's what we, that's the criminology, right? Is what we like to talk about.
1: Well, I, I think uh, I think what we want to see, what a lot of us want to see, what I want to see, is I want to see, this rumor makes me makes me think, we could see from Apple a commitment, maybe even spelled out, but if not, then in actions, that the Macs are going to get turned over faster. That Right? I mean, and the only way to really do that, you could say we're going to do it more. They sort of said that, in the mac pro like little sit down briefing thingy right mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you got to show it so if the next thing they do at wwdc is turn over the laptops and say all new processors right um there's still a question of, like and where's the imac but um they, they this is an opportunity for them to show it like we have a laptop that we shipped in october with a processor a new processor from intel has come out since then we're updating those today. It's not even been a year with the new processor because we know you want the latest and greatest, right? They could they could make that case. And that would be interesting. The question is, will they do that? If the rumor is that they will. And I think that's great news if it happens. And it'll be interesting to see if they also use it to tell a larger story or if they just say, very matter-of-factly, like, we know you want this, here it is, right? Moving on. And, and then go on to the next thing. I'm most excited about the MacBook because... Uh, as I've been talking about, I think since the MacBook came out, um, I feel like all along I've been thinking a second generation of this, where they maybe back off on a little bit of the extremeness of the product or tech advances enough that they, that they can add some stuff in without backing off on how extreme the product is, uh, would really excite me. like the idea of a MacBook with Gasp two ports that would be really good that'd be really exciting can they give it its macbook air moment right right cuz that's that's the question and then there's also a question about like the macbook air that we've had this rumor i kind of love this rumor i was listening to the atp guys talk about it last week the idea that the macbook air we get a processor change cuz it hasn't really changed in 2 years they're just they're selling an old model of an old laptop because people still want it and they want something under 9 under $1000 right and it's a 999 13-inch macbook air but I love this move if they did this. I love it because, yeah, it's a MacBook Air. It's not, it doesn't have a retina screen. I've got one right here. I've got there, there are three in my house. <laughs> we have three MacBook Airs in my house that are used mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Mine, my wife's, and my son's. And we uh, we love them. <laughs> and, th- and it's two years old. It's like there's really nothing stopping Apple from just dropping a new Intel processor in there and keeping it going and saying, look, it's still nine ninety nine. It still doesn't have a retina. If you want that, we've got other pro- other products for you. But if you want a Mac under a thousand dollars, it's better than it was. And kind of accepting that people are still buying it, so you might as well make it more modern, without without re- having to do all the work of re-engineering it. They're not going to build a new like next generation MacBook Air with all the guts ripped out, right? They did that. It's the MacBook or the MacBook Escape, but. It's still on the price line. It doesn't seem to be going away. They don't seem to be willing to take the MacBook and do what Microsoft did, which is do a really spec stripped version for $999 that nobody's going to really want and that isn't very good and then try to upsell you. That's what Microsoft's game is, is that that, that $999 Surface laptop, it has really poor specs but um but it's but it's 9.99. Apple seems to not want to do that. They seem to rather just keep selling the MacBook Air which keeps selling. So, I love the idea that they would have enough pride <laughs> in their product to say we shouldn't be selling a product with that old processor in it. It's also possible that that old yeah. processor is becoming decreasingly available <laughs> and they need to replace it with a new processor just because that's what Intel's making now. That's also
0: possible. <laughs> Talking about pride in product though, like There are other things in that MacBook Air that I don't think that that they can be proud of in 2017. Like, just the overall design of it, the screen. Like, that stuff is really old now. Like, personally, I would just prefer to see the MacBook get good enough and cheap enough that the Air doesn't need to be around anymore.
1: I think everybody would prefer that, and this rumor suggests that that's not going to happen this year. So, this is where we are.
0: Well, unless they they were able to keep the current version of the 12-inch and bump that down, make it cheaper... I know that you know it's not necessarily a replacement for the air, but like uh, that that computer is so old now. I know, but the, this is the thing: is as somebody who uses
1: a MacBook Air and has family members using MacBook Air, it's still pretty great. I see why they sell a lot of them. I see it. I know that it's not yeah. a Retina screen, yeah. but there are a lot of things like people like it. People like that laptop, and I think if you're Apple, what you'll, you're probably doing is analyzing the margins. And the margins on the MacBook Air have to be great. And the margins on the MacBook may not be as great and certainly may not be able to be remotely mm. kept at $999, right? So they don't do it because they've got to have the margins on their products. They've got to have profit of a certain percentage on every product they ship. And so if you do the math and you say, oh, MacBook Air is insanely profitable and people are still buying them even though these other products exist, um, so let's, you know, let's not give them a reason to stop buying it until we're ready to move down with the MacBook tech or the MacBook escape tech or both. And they'll get there, but it looks like they're just not there yet. And I think maybe they like the idea that there's a premium to be paid for a high resolution Mac laptop screen. But, uh, but I agree with you. If they could get to $999 in a way that satisfi- satisfies them with the MacBook, I think that would be a better thing for them to do. The problem is, if you look at what Microsoft is doing, which is the, a good direct analog, Microsoft only got there by stripping the RAM and storage down to what for Apple appears to be below bare minimum. Because I think it's two gigs and a 128 SSD in the Surface laptop at 999 And it's just not, you know, Apple doesn't, doesn't do that. <laughs> they're, they're not going to have a two gig of RAM laptop it seems, unless they do, unless they decide to do that. But it seems like that's like, they're not going to go that low. Like if you want the MacBook, you got to pay, you got to pay up. And at that next level, at the price of the MacBook, the Surface laptop has the same specs, except it better. It's got a better processor, but it's got the same RAM and storage. So I don't know. I, I, I'm i okay with it, a- accepting the fact that if they're going to keep selling the MacBook Air, having it be a little bit, you know, a modern version of the processor that lives in it is better than having it be an ancient computer that they're still selling i agree the best thing to do is get another laptop under under a thousand dollars but they have it appears that they don't want to do that because of the margins
0: last week we had google io and you know so google showed off what they're going to be doing uh over the coming year i guess and there were a few themes. Um, Google was continuing their theme of machine learning in every product that they have, and that every every product, physical and software that they produce, has some kind of machine learning sprinkled into it. I feel like this is a a meme right now um, in Silicon Valley, right? Machine learning, but Google is the yep. company that can convincingly show what they're doing with it. I think of everyone they are the company that when they say we're going to add some machine learning to this, I'm like, yeah, do you know what? You probably are. <laughs> and and I believe that it's going to work, right? Because I think I think this machine learning trend has been started by Google, right? They started it a few years ago. Um, and of maybe any company in the world, they are the ones that have the machines that can learn more than anybody else, right? Because there's just this sheer amount of data that, that they are able to pull in and gladly mine, right, as opposed to anybody else. So they have it, and their products continue to show it. So you are a man who is synonymous with photos because of the books (laughs) that you've written on on iCloud. Um, Google showed off a selection of features coming to Google Photos, and I wondered how, if you could maybe sum up some of the ones that you think are most interesting and compare what you think considering to what Apple's currently offering.
1: Yeah, there's a couple things the uh, one of the interesting things by the way about machine learning is that uh, Google there's an article that I read that I think is in fast company that's by Harry McCracken about how Google is doing a lot of their in Android o which is kind of boring we can talk there are a couple of interesting things but um, they're doing some machine learning stuff that is running on uh, on the phone they, they have a version a light version of their tensorflow which is the the their machine learning system that runs on phones. And that's because in a lot of contexts, you don't want to wait for data to pass up on the internet and be processed and passed back to your device. You want it instantly. And I think that's really funny because that means that Google is going to where Apple is for certain things because Apple has to be on the device because of their philosophy of not processing your data on the server. Uh, But Google sees value in that too. So it's kind of interesting that they're both doing some...
0: Right, like they're both doing machine learning key. on the
1: server or on the mm-hmm. on the client. It's just on the server that that Google has the advantage, um, and it's not you know it's not like Apple can't buy uh, buy access to data streams to do machine learning. It's just that Google has these massive streams, um, but it's definitely an arms race in, in machine learning because uh, bottom line, we talk about this and this buzzword, and for people out there who don't know or care, um, the idea here is that. Uh, You can have the way it's sort of how it does it, how it does the magic. So when we talk about photos, Google Photos has this ability to identify the contents of pictures. And it does that not because there's a somebody wrote a program to identify what a cat looks like. And it's not because there's people looking at your photos and saying there's a cat. It's because Google has trained this algorithm with a bunch of photos of cats and said these photos have in common that these are cats and these these photos do not have cats. And machine learning allows them to have these huge data sets uh, dumped into the software and then the software learns based on you telling it these are yes, these are no. Over time, the software learns how to differentiate between them instead of having a human being program the differentiation they the human just programs the uh, the data set and the conditions and the the software sort of writes itself which is incredibly powerful because this is stuff that would be very hard for a human to quantify but if you dump a billion photos into an algorithm it's a lot more efficient so that's when we're talking about machine learning, it's a lot of stuff like that of being able to uh, take a bunch of data and make sense of it in a way that our brains probably also process data, right? But that is very different than a, uh, than a programmer sitting down and saying, I'm going to try to write an algorithm that reads your email and determines whether they're, it's happy or sad. like that's not that's not an efficient way to do that. So that's the that's the the background here. For photos, you know, Google Photos has been able to do a better job, I think, in general than Apple's photos that they introduced with iOS 10 um, and macOS Sierra of identifying objects and photos like Google Photos has lots of things you can say, mountains and valleys and and cows and things like that. And it can it can do that. It can do multiple items in a photo and it and it can it, it scanned based on the machine learning. It scanned your photo library and it can pull out all the photos or a particular person. And Apple's photos does some of that. Um, It's a first release, and because of the way Apple does things, they don't have a back-end server to keep tweaking, so Photos just sits there. And I assume we will see a progression of that announced at WWDC, the second take that apple has done with their own machine learning on their photo library stuff so google's done that google's also added a feature that is the one that i think made me sit up and take notice which is uh family sharing where they're going to launch this thing with one other you can you can share your photo library with one other person and you can either choose that to be a very simple i'm going to share this library with one other person um that that's uh that's that's pretty cool because i've written about that a little bit like when we take trips um after a trip is over, I have to take my wife's iPhone and plug it into my Mac and import her photos uh, because there's no way for us to say, look, we just want all our photo library to be shared, right? Which for us is fine. That's all we really want. Um, and iCloud photo library, family sharing, all that just doesn't do it. There is, I I, I commented on this on on Twitter and I got a bunch of well actuallys from people saying, well, actually there's a family shared library in, a, in a, iCloud photo sharing. It's true, but you have to manually place your photos in there. You can't, they don't go in there as you take them, like your, like iCloud photo library works. And it's, I believe it's built on the same kind of older sharing infrastructure as photo stream. But regardless, I will tell you, um, even if you use that approach, all your photos get scaled down to three megapixels. Uh, which is not apparently widely known because that's the sharing. It, it, it uh, if you airdrop something, it's full size. But if you go to Facebook or if you do iCloud photo sharing, it scales the photo down. So yeah. it's not ideal. And for me, it's like if it's not automatic, it's not ideal. Like I don't I don't want to have to have to remind my wife to share her pictures from our trip to Seattle in order to get those photos and she shouldn't have to text me and say, I need that picture that you took of the kids so that I can send, right? I mean, we should be able to opt in and say, no, we just just want one library. So Google's going to let you do that. But Google also has this other sharing feature that uses the machine learning stuff. And that is to be able to say photos of a certain kind, photos in a certain place, photos of certain people, I want you to automatically share them. And it will even suggest sharing them. So if you don't want to share all your photos with a loved one, you could share all your photos of your family with a loved one, and that will work. And it will remind you and suggest, oh, here's a photo you took that Bob is in. Would you like me to share that with Bob? And you can say yes, and then Bob will get the pictures of Bob or Bob's kids or whatever. And that is really interesting because what Google's saying is our machine learning can now power, it, it's, it knows about the content in photos to the point where it can suggest other people who want to see those photos, which if you've ever been to a party or something and there's a bunch of people taking pictures that's really cool right, right? And, and and we just did this because because um we went to a party for uh a, a, one of lawrence uh, lawrence cousin's daughter had a bat mitzvah so big party all the families there and this was in seattle and everybody's taking pictures and, and and the vision i think that google has is you were at a place with all of these family members would you like me to share your photos from there with them Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a little proactive. It's not like you can't do a version of that today, but that's a little, a little bit more proactive because otherwise you're going to, maybe you forget Maybe it just time passes on. It's a week later.
0: Yeah, my favorite part of that was that once you share those photos with people, Google Photos will suggest, "Hey, we think these photos were of that event. Do you want to share these with everybody as well?" Which I thought was awesome. Yeah. So like, it's 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 doing you know recognition of time and location and probably of people's faces and some image stuff to be like, we think these were from that event. Why don't you share all of those, and then you create this like one big shared album? And it's probably doing some duplicate stuff to make sure they're not the same image. Like, yeah, like I, I think that that sort of stuff is is really cool. And I mean, I've really looking at the landscape right now. It feels like Google is really the only one in the place to do a lot of this stuff really reliably because of just this huge data set that they're building up, which is bigger than anybody else's, especially like based on real photos of real people. Yeah. and you and your family and all your friends right like it's building up all this information it's not that apple can't do it it's just that it's it's harder
1: but apple could do this stuff and and this is this is great stuff because this is computers getting um getting doing stuff that we're not going to do because it's it's too complex or we're going to forget about it it's like this is computers making our lives easier technology saying we can f- see the patterns in what you're doing and take that logical next step mm-hmm. and make it so that all you have to do is agree like that's great that is better than saying well what i'm going to do is i'm going to make a shared album and i need to look up every oh i don't have this person's i don't have lauren's other cousin's email address because i haven't seen him since the wedding and uh you know so i got to look that up and so now so i'm going to share it with a few of those people now created okay now i'm going to add some things in and people on iphones can add their own but the people who aren't on iphones can't and like there's a lot or or i'm going to upload that to a service or i'm going to put on facebook but but this person's not on facebook right like to to have the ability to for a a piece of software essentially to say hey you had a family get together uh should i make a shared thing and share it with everybody and say
0: yep that's a great promise and like here's the difference of google right you can do that on Android. You could do that on iPhone with the iPhone app. And they said that like you can just text it to someone, and they can just download them from a web page. Yeah. So like anywhere, no matter what they're using, no matter they don't even need to be Google Photos users. You can email them or text them, and they can just download the images, right? Like I just don't see, I just don't see Apple doing that, right? Like even if they were able to do pull all this tech together, I don't see it existing on Android. So like you're either in this system or you're not. Well,
1: I mean, they they probably would generate a web link to an iCloud uh, uh, page, yeah, that's true. web but page they, somewhere. You know, I can't they, imagine they an
0: Android app, though.
1: I just, so my, my point here is, the um, this has been announced by Google. It's not out yet. Mm-hmm. Apple's going to have their developer conference. Presumably one of their iOS 11 features will be photos related, whether they spend a lot of time with it or not. It was a huge iOS 10 update. Presumably, there will be an iOS 11 update with photos that will add a bunch of things to photos. And that's the question: is like how will how will the machine learning advance? Will they add features to be more proactive about suggesting ways that you could share? Will there be better sharing features? Will there be better ways to take advantage of the iTunes Family Accounts, which um, which came out six months before iCloud Photo Library and yet have no connection to them? Um, that that's a that's the one that really bugs me. Is that I, I want to be able to say. Um, I want to share my iCloud storage space and photo library with my wife and just be done with it. Right. But nope, can't do it yet. Maybe this time, maybe not. I did talk to them. Um, the, some, some, I think a photos product mar- marketing manager a couple years ago, this sort of thing about like the sharing is actually part of their concern. I think about, about why, the, why it hasn't happened is do you really want to share every single photo you take with another person? And I heard from people last week who were like, no, I don't want to do that. Why would anyone want to do that? And my response would be, well, I want to do it. And I don't think it's unusual for a husband and a wife to want to share their photo library. So all their family photos stay together instead Mm -hmm. of being in two separate
0: places. But I like that Google even answered that question themselves by being like, you can also take it of just certain collections of people. They're the only photos that we share. Exactly
1: right. So so those are options. And I think that's a nice way to do it. And maybe that was so, sort of some of the stuff that Apple's been thinking of as well. Mm-hmm. Although I will say again, I think a, even a bare library share would work for a whole lot of people. And I actually was quite disappointed with the response I got on Twitter from people because the attitude seemed very much to be like, well, I don't want it. So nobody should have it. It's like, no. Wrong, wrong. This is a convenient feature. I can see the convenience in it personally. And I know lots of other people would use that feature just because you don't want it. It's a super important feature for families and Mm -hmm. especially for parents of of kids to share their photos of the kids so that they don't end up in in, uh, separate iCloud libraries. That's really dumb. Um, And you can't share them. You can't share full quality photos. the
0: answer of like, oh, this might get some people in trouble. Like it's so silly.
1: Yeah. Oh, that was really good. It's like, we shouldn't do this feature because it might get some husband who's cheating on his wife in trouble. It's like, yeah, well, we have find my iPhone. That ship has already sailed. And I don't (laughs) want to have no access to half the photos of all my family until I plug my wife's phone into my Mac uh, because of some fear that some dumb Person who's having an affair and taking pictures of his girlfriend and sharing that library with his wife. I mean, come on, mm-hmm. that's just a, such a bogus argument. So, so, but I appreciate Google's granularity here because that suggests something that I think was on the mind of the Apple people that I spoke to about uh, about sharing, family sharing on uh, on Apple side. Is can it be a little more granular if it's just? Uh like I would be I would love to be able to say my wife doesn't need to see all those screenshots I take for uh, for stories I write because mm-hmm. she does not want to see them and I don't want to flood her camera roll with them. Fair, right? Sure, that would be nice. Some granularity would be great. But in the end, the fact that you cannot automatically share any version of um a the full quality photo that you've taken with someone else who's in your family in your iTunes account family without airdropping it or doing an import over a wire is that's dumb. That's really dumb. So uh, maybe they'll overhaul that stuff. And like I said, I think the, the sharing stuff is all legacy stuff from before iCloud photo library. I think it's all based on the older, like photo stream kind of technology, which explains why it's, it, it, you know, why it might be harder to update the sharing stuff because they've got an existing sharing infrastructure. And if they do something new, they're probably going to want to base it on iCloud Photo Library, which is a different thing. So there's, there's, I get, it, this is not necessarily technically easy, but I would also point out that it's been now two years since iCloud Photo Library and two and a half years since the iTunes family accounts came out. So I hope to see more from Apple on that end. And they don't need to answer Google across uh, everything, but they definitely need to keep stepping up their game because this is an area that is important. And right now, the only thing, I'd say the number one thing that prevents people from switching from Apple's photo stuff to Google's photo stuff on iOS is that Apple as the system provider, as the platform owner, allows photo syncing to happen at any time in the background when you're on Wi-Fi. And Google can't do that because it's a third-party app. And although it'll sync in the background for a while, eventually, inevitably, it will be quit by the system because it's been running in the background for a long time transferring data. At which point, none of your photos sync until you remember to launch Google Photos again on your iPhone. And until Apple, if Apple would ever do that, levels the playing field and allows certain kinds of apps to sync their data in the background sort of eternally, when plugged in and on Wi Fi, like Google Photos, um, Apple will have a huge advantage. Like, that's a huge advantage that I I will, we will miss photo syncs. And I'll, I'll have to tell my wife to launch Google Photos, remember to launch Google Photos, just so that we can sync our photos. That's dumb. And iCloud, that's a huge advantage that iCloud Photo Library has on iOS right now. And uh, that's art, that's an artificial barrier where Apple, it allows Apple to escape with a lower quality product because they've erected a barrier um, that they don't have to jump over. And that's not that's not how Apple should be winning these battles. They should be winning these battles on their own merit and not because they give themselves permission to do
0: things no one else does. The Assistant battle is continuing to heat up. There are a bunch of uh, enhancements to Google Assistant. Um, one of the key ones, two, I think it's two key ones, now it's on iPhone now. Um, although in the US yeah. only, but there is an iPhone app, and, yeah. and Google have found some interesting ways to, like, but with a widget right to make it very accessible, which is very smart. But yeah, US only right now. Boo. Um, and uh-huh. they've also allowed it so you can talk in text to the Google Assistant now in the Google Assistant app, um, or from other parts in in Android, which will be coming, I think, in Android O. But you can you can do it right now in the iPhone app, which is great. It's great to have that option available. Um, this is something I think many people have wanted Siri to do for a long time and and when Google Assistant came out you could talk to it in Duo but I think Duo has not done what Google wanted so they now enabled it in the Assistant app as well um, you had a, a great post that you mentioned earlier on, uh, imagining the introduction of a Siri speaker where you take on the role of Tim and Phil and like a, and, and a Johnny Ive video <laughs> and you write out how you imagine it going in an ideal world. And, uh, you showed your, uh, down with the kids in knowing a Lorde song, uh, that I've never heard of, but you mentioned it. So I assume that you're. Down with the kids Isn't there. Isn't it just Lord? Or what, what? Lorde? Mm, I see. Again, so... It's like Day. You are proving that you are more down with the kids than me because I have always read that in my head as Lorde.
1: I was thinking that it would be, uh, you know, this is like when we did our draft predictions not uh, for the last event where I was trying to predict a musical act. And it's like there's there's a game plan there. I don't know if Green Light's the right song or not, but I thought that that was I thought that that was a uh, placeholder. I was like, yeah, some song like that's popular now that's going to make Apple look cool like Green Light by Lord and then I, uh, I thought about changing using your voice to change the lights in the room to turn green. And I thought, oh, well, that's a perfect song then. That's, so anyway, yeah. So I did a fake Apple event is what I'm saying. And uh, I don't, I mean, they're the experts at it. I've just, I've seen so many Apple events that I can try to, what I, what I said was, this is the best my Apple event emulator could do. I'm just one person. It was pretty good though. You can tell you've been to a lot of these things. So yeah, there's more in the assistant world. I can hear I can hear the voices there. Yeah, so it, it's that that is a right so Cortana is built into a Harman Kardon speaker. You've got uh, the Google Home uh, assistant is getting built up. The a- Amazon keeps releasing Echoes. And Apple is rumored to have this Siri speaker, which I called Apple Home only because even though there's a Google Home, it's like, that's that's probably the right name for it. I kept thinking of other things to call it, but none of them were quite as good. They've had an app called
0: Home for a while, right? Like it's in Apple's branding machine already.
1: Yeah, well, and, and in my... One of the reasons that I did this is it made me think it made me think what how does apple describe this how does apple sell this product what features does apple highlight and homekit has to be one of them right like my thought is that that's one of the ways apple sells this as a as a differentiator is it's a homekit hub so you don't need an Apple TV or an iPad or something. You plug this in. You can control your home. HomeKit is great. Blah blah blah. Right. All the things that they're going to say about how much they love their own technology because it's an Apple event. They're going to pump up their own stuff. Fair. And then you throw in, yeah, it's all the power of Siri and it, it'll it'll talk to you. And maybe if it's got a screen and a camera, maybe it'll do something like FaceTime. Maybe it won't. I don't know. But it'll it, that, that I think HomeKit has to be part of the story because this is that's where, how these products get used. Is they're in your home. So having it just lean into that and lean into home kit seemed to be like a logical way for them to uh, tie it all together. So that's my, people can read the story. It Imagine it in, in Phil and Tim's voices. And I invented a product video that involves the Apple home in a kind of home setting with kids and parents and uh, playing music and, uh, being notified that you need to leave for your next event and stuff like that, and I even threw in a feature that would be really cool that Apple wasn't promising when they launched the product because they do that sometimes now too, which was that uh, later this year it will uh, it will recognize your voice, and so if you ask it a question about a calendar, it will recognize that it's you, and if you're child asks about their calendar they will be told about their calendar instead and in my imaginary uh imaginary thing that product that isn't ready yet (laughs) and so they're like that that's the thing that ships in december on december 30th um and then the other thing that i did that was kind of a funny moment was that i uh i guessed what i would want to pay for the product and then i raised the price because the new Apple products always cost more than what you yeah. want to pay, yeah. so I, I yeah. guess two ninety nine, and then I said it's three forty nine. So yeah, that's... the Google Home
0: just started doing that voice recognition thing a couple of weeks ago, um, and and that that is seems like a feature that would be really great to have in, in my Echo.
1: Yeah, the fact that Google is now um, doing that, I, I think everybody needs to get there. I'm I'm sure everybody's been working on it, right? Because mm-hmm. this is an issue with all of these products. Like, like the Echo should be able to know that when the little girl wants to order the dollhouses, that she doesn't get to, yep. that she needs she needs yep. p- parental uh, approval for that A code and, or something. And, and and multiple. I mean, again, coming. W- w- so many of these services were built on the idea that, it, that there are, everybody's got their own account and they're siloed. And the problem with that is that people's lives aren't siloed. A lot of our lives are messy because we live with other human beings, right? It's not, a lot of these things are envisioned as like, you've got your computer, so you log in with your account and you have another computer and you log in, which is great until suddenly you've got a voice box in the middle of your house that everybody can use and it cannot be one-to-one, right? And so they, they are trying to find ways to back out of that one-to-one thing, whether it's like a family account thing or it's the ability to log in multiple people and detect them by voice in the case of a voice assistant and it's hard stuff but surely amazon is working on it google has announced it and so i kind of envisioned and that that a little bit wish casting on my part but i tried to envision that apple would would uh have that be a feature that they could tout uh for a, a product like theirs because especially if it's tied into the family sharing that kind of makes sense the the ability to differentiate so that if uh yeah and also the way I the way I had them phrase calendars and reminders, they say you can check your calendar, you can check your reminders. In the back of my head, I'm thinking it's really only going to work with iCloud calendars and reminders. But they're not going to mention that part. Now let let people be dis- who use Google Calendar be disappointed later by the fact that it doesn't work with them. That, trying to again well, trying to emulate an could Apple it not just
0: like take some information from what's in your iPhone maybe right? Because like I it have could. Google calendars on my iPhone.
1: I was thinking, well, I mean, one of the things I thought while I was writing the story was it could do handoff, right? A, a Siri speaker could do yeah. handoff stuff where um, where, like on your Mac, if your phone rings or you get a text, you get it everywhere that you could get that text and it could say, you just got a text, <laughs> you know, or play the chime and would you like me to read it? Or would you like me to answer the phone here? And those are all things that it could do too. So, so interaction, that would be another way that Apple could... Uh, could make its product more impressive is have it sync and communicate with the stuff that's on your phone and your uh, tablet but we'll see we'll see if it i'm not i'm not entirely convinced we'll see at the draft how we pick it but i'm not entirely convinced this product actually is going to get announced at wwdc but i do wonder if the reason to do it is it gives them a long run-up until they ship it and because they want to talk about siri features across all their platforms because they have Siri now, which means there's a developer story. And so they want to get developers really excited about supporting Siri And one of those reasons they could get excited is because it's going to also tie in to what they're doing with their Siri hardware. And that for me, that's, that would be the rationale to announce that product, but I'm, I'm not convinced. I, I, some of it is wish casting again. Some of it is me thinking, i'd like that product (laughs) and that that gets in the way of of so i i've got a red flag in my mind that says no 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 that's probably come on that's a product you like that's a product you want it probably won't happen come on you're just dreaming but i don't know that's what the rumor says so i guess we'll see android Yeah, it's not not a lot to say about Android O. I talked to some people. um, People can listen to the download podcast from last week. We talked about Google I.O. a lot. um, And we talked about Android O very, very little because there's not a lot. It wasn't a big focus. I I suppose there will be more to come as it gets closer to uh, the consumers. Um, There's not anything huge in it there's a bunch of little stuff that's interesting uh the the one thing about it and this says some a lot about me and my interest that i wrote about on six colors was that they redesigned all the google emoji and jeremy burke wrote a piece about it yeah yeah well the, you know the, the for those who know the smileys on Google's platforms look like gumdrops or if you're less charitable like Jeremy Birch was at Emojipedia blobs yeah a little
0: blob <laughs> little blobby guy
1: i like to think that they're like a gumdrop like it's a gumdrop shape they're rounded on top and and then and then sort of like come to an edge on the bottom and then there's a uh, then there's a different kind of curve thing at the bottom it's a gumdrop guy well those are gone the gumdrop guy is gone the blob the google blobs are gone in android o and presumably on gmail and all of that when they roll this out replaced by more traditional sort of circular faces and there are people who love those blobs and are going to be sad to see them go. Of but course. I think the number one reason that you do that if you're Google is because every other platform does not have gumdrop blobs. Every other platform has circles. And emoji is a language people use to communicate. It's not the place to have a lot of flair on your platform that is not followed on other platforms because as was the title of an episode of this very show a while ago because of emoji fragmentation. Mm -hmm. Because what you don't want to have is I send you an image that I think means this, but you receive a different image that you interpret to be completely different and we have failed to communicate. So I think this is a good thing. I know it seems silly, but I think it's actually a really good thing for Google to do this, to sort of sync up their design language with it. And then also this will be the first, um, this is the first announced support for the Emoji 5.0 spec so it's the one with, like with a dinosaur and a vomiting face emoji and other things like that. It's the latest and greatest emoji.
0: Including the Mind Blown, which in Google's version yeah. of the Mind Blown is awesome. It looks great. Yeah, it's the surprised face with a mushroom cloud coming out of the top. <laughs> the UK flags, the, the independent UK flags yes. of Wales, England, England Scotland, and Scotland, Wales. Yeah. Also a monocle face. I mean, it's all for me, really. Monocle face, yeah. English flag, Oof. top hat. Put it in there. Top and hat, good. It's going to be great. Yeah.
1: And iOS 11 will obviously have all of this stuff too. It's just a matter of it's like Google beat Apple. It's like, well, no, Google pre-announced their operating system three weeks before Apple because that's when their event was. The iOS 11 will undoubtedly support all of these emojis. Could still too. beat
0: them though. Could still come first. <laughs> Race is still on. Um, I I think calling it boring is is a little unfair. Um, I, I think that it is a polish release. Feels a little like iOS 10 to me, in that there are some some cool features, yeah, but no well, blockbusters.
1: So we said this in download too, and 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 I want to I want to repeat it here. I think it's a good kind of boring. Like I, I, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay that it's it, it's not. We're tearing everything apart and rethinking it again. Mm-hmm. I think smartphone operating systems at this point aren't at aren't at that level anymore. They've kind of moved past that. Android is just being polished and updated and made better by Google. That's what they should be doing. They don't need to take it apart. But it also means that I don't have a lot to say about it because they released a limited amount of information about it. And because, again, it's not as exciting to talk about making your incrementally making your products better, even though for end users, that may be the
0: best thing to do. There are less big blockbuster features available now for smartphones. There, a lot of smartphone operating systems as we currently have them are getting pretty close to feature completeness. Right, like it's it's like yeah. what reminds me of the Mac. Right, that like there just there just isn't that much really whiz bang stuff you can put into macOS anymore.
1: Hard to do quantum leaps right now. Yeah, on smartphone OSs, you could not that they can't be improved. They absolutely all can be improved, but it's harder to see like we just added this thing that everybody's been clamoring for that nobody's had and now we've added it because I I feel like we've passed that. All that stuff has been has been taken down and used, and now it's all about could you make that better? That thing you introduced five years ago, maybe you could make that better because five years have passed and things are better now. And that's not as exciting; it is more boring. But like I said, I think in the end that stuff makes the experience better and that makes users happy. And yeah, I'm I'm all on that. Like more 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 polish and fixing things and making everything nicer. Um, that's that's where we are, and the the wacky innovation has gone to other devices now. The smartphone is is not done, but it is not, you know, it's, it's, it was leaping from like 10% done to 40% done to 70% done, right? And now it's just sort of ticking through um, uh, little tiny increments because it, the quantum leaps aren't there anymore.
0: All right, Jason, do you want to take a break and talk about MailRoute?
1: Oh yeah, that would be great. This episode is sponsored by MailRoute, which means I get to tell you that MailRoute is a secure hosted email filtering service that you can have up and running in just minutes. It gets rid of spam and virus email, so you don't have to. The spam and virus email never touches your mail server because it's stopped at MailRoute before it can reach you. Spam and virus protection in MailRoute also helping to tackle ransomware For Office 365 and Google Apps customers, this is becoming a real bad problem in the email industry today. This type of malware can take files and encrypt them, leaving you to have to pay money to get them back. MailRoute protects you against this, along with phishing, spoofing, harvest attacks, and more. Because they see a lot of email, they can identify bad email and keep it away from you, which is a huge deal. You can trust whatever new stuff comes along will also be taken care by MailRoute's crack team of experts. You don't have to install any hardware or software to take advantage of Mailroute's protection. Just a couple of clicks. That's it. You're done. And with access to an intuitive dashboard and API tools, if you need them, you're set no matter what you want to do. Now, my favorite feature, I've talked about it before, Mailroute sends you a little digest about what has been filtered. And I like that because I always forget to check my spam filters. But I see the email route email every day and it's configurable how often you get it sent. It's got a list of everything that it's caught in its trap. And at a glance, you can see, first off, mostly it's, whoo wow, spam is really bad. But every now and then I see something in there and I'm like, oh, that is valid. I, I actually wanna get that mail. And with one click, I can have it deliver the message and whitelist the sender. And if I'm not sure about whether I wanna whitelist the sender, there's another link that I can click in my email. That will send me that message, but won't whitelist the sender. If you whitelist the sender, all future mail from that person gets through MailRoute. So super easy to do. And then I just check my email again, because I'm already there reading the, the MailRoute digest and the new message that was previously filtered out has been delivered. It couldn't be Easier. MailRoute lets me customize across all my users and domains as a whole. I have several users and several domains. I can customize how everybody sees their preferences. I can set things how I want, uh, make those the default preferences. I can allow my users to change their preferences if they want. Very flexible, easy to use web-based service that keeps the junk away from my server. So find out more about MailRoute today by going to mailroute.net slash upgrade. Sign up today to get a 30-day free trial and 10% off the lifetime of your account. And if you need it, MailRoute will even price match a competitor's contract. Thank you to MailRoute for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. And most importantly,
0: for mailbagging. Mailbagging. I tell you, the NHS probably could have uh, really enjoyed using MailRoute over the last couple of weeks, so but that would have saved you, you, them some you issues. Think? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Should we talk about Apple Park or Maybe some 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 issues in detail. uh With Wired's uh, pretty awesome expose, I don't know if it's we'd call it that. It's
1: not an expose if they invite you in. <laughs> yeah. What 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 is it then? Feature. It's like a big feature story feature. by Stephen Levy about feature. about building this. Yeah. It's not an expose if they if they t- give you the tour and give you a hard hat. Mm. Um. Yeah. It's a. People should read it. It's in Wired. Stephen Levy knows the company better than anybody. It's a really good story. It is a lot of detail about what's going on at Apple Park and how they built it. So I had a couple of notes upon reading it that I wanted to share. Um, I wrote some of this up at Six Colors. One of them is the idea is the concept of the story is that Apple Park is Steve Jobs' last product last product that he was heavily involved with. And it's taken this long to build it, but he was heavily involved in the details of the product up until, or the, the park, up until he died.
0: Yeah, and it seems like from what Levy was saying, like significant parts of his final years were spent on it because he yeah. was taking very, very, very long meetings with people like that were taking up most of his days. um, And, and him and Johnny really spent a lot of time together like it was a big collaboration between the two of them even from very early on um and and i think it's not surprising to me when you see this information to maybe realize why johnny's not been around so much recently apparently yeah i think
1: i think that one of the things about this article is and i've heard from other people who've said similar things is it's hard to see the description of the level of care that Apple people took with this project down to the pizza boxes, right? That people mm-hmm. mentioned, but also like the, the, the door handles and the toilets, like the amount of custom design throughout this. And people, you know, some people are going to roll their eyes at that. And I feel like one, it's Apple and Apple does stuff like this, it's part of their identity that Apple's not going to just move into a rectangular office building with uh, cubicles with uh, standard kind of panels on the walls, right? If Apple's making their showcase headquarters of the future, are they going to do that? Are they just going to build, drop down a, an office block somewhere with generic equipment from the office depot? It's not going to happen. It's Apple. It's not going to happen. They want it to be inspirational to the people who work there. And Apple does feel like they have things to contribute to making... Uh, you know, sort of what the future of a workplace is like, I think Apple is hoping that this and Steve Jobs was probably hoping that this would be an incredibly influential project that people would learn from and take maybe some lessons of what not to do, but also take a lot of lessons of why don 't we do that when we build our next thing why do we why do we settle for less so I think that I think that that 's all. Uh, it's a valid perspective. What I wrote in my piece is it, it so feels like an Apple product in the sense that they are coming from a point of view when they make this. It's like we think that offices should be like this and not everybody agrees when Apple does a product that has a point of view, like the MacBook's a great example, right? Which is, we think a laptop should be like this and everybody's like, but it only has one port. Yeah, but it's really thin and light, but it, but 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 and like, alright, well, it's not for everybody but like Apple had a very strong belief like this is the kind of product that's how you get an interesting product and uh, that's, I would argue, that's how you get a great great product is being opinionated like that. Well, Apple Park is like that. And I think that comes from Steve Jobs and carried on by other people. It is their vision, Apple's vision for what a workplace should be like, if you've got the money for it, and if you've got the space for it and all those things. But it's like, imagine what a world class workplace for 12,000 people would be. And Apple Park is that vision. It is hard, though, when reading Stephen Levy's article not to think that because they sweated all those details, and it's very clear that people involved in Apple design, including John, Johnny Ive, were deeply involved in this process. It's really hard not to walk away thinking they've been distracted for the last
0: two years. It's just, and I've heard from other people similarly. I thought that was very insightful um, that you, you you put that in an article that you wrote, which would be in the show notes. And, and I'd never considered that, you know, deeply. But if if it was this. You know, the biggest product they've ever designed, um, with with more uh, intricate parts than they've ever needed before, that there is a possibility that Apple decided to put a lot of its own people on that project. Like why yes. you know I understand having a, a an architect to design the structure, but all of the internal pieces, why would you not have your own people do them? Right? like You have people that you know can do incredible internal design for their stores. <laughs> well, right? if you're
1: Apple, you feel you're the best in the world at design. Yeah. Why would you have someone else design your, your building?
0: You would like to think that Apple is trying its best to find the best designers on the planet, right? So they right. believe they have them. So I understand right. that. I mean, I'm not necessarily saying they should do this, right? Like their products are what enables well, a building like this. And in fact, somebody who designs computers and
1: uh and phones and things may not be the best person to do industrial design on a workspace, right? Mm-hmm. They may they may be incredibly talented, but they still may not be the best because they don't have the they haven't spent the last twenty years designing chairs and doors and things, right? They've yeah. spent the last twenty years designing computers. And so you could argue that maybe that's not the best fit but i see the temptation if you're a designer to be like i've always wanted to design a better door because i hate these doors so let's make a better door and i can also see somebody who has been working in the real world for the last 20 years say what do you mean a better door we got the doors we figured it out just use the
0: door like use the pizza box okay (laughs) okay as right, so the 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 great example of this the classic example of, was when you know Steve was Steve Jobs was helping design the Pixar headquarters and he wanted to put all the bathrooms in one place you know like it, that is a yeah. you can see why he wanted to do it it's it's an interesting idea probably not great in in practicality. well the the uh and and that that I will say that means
1: this is not the first building that Steve Jobs put together right because yep. he did and he put together some lessons p- at Pixar Yeah. So I think that's interesting, too. And he obviously cared about this. And the story quotes the architects as being amazed at the level of detail and care and knowledge that Steve Jobs had about this. So I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole. It's just it's hard for me to read that story and say that Apple didn't have some serious design brainpower that was that was busy designing something that's not a product per se. It's the it's the park. And maybe, uh, you know, the fact is that if their if their uh, brain power was spent on that, that was less brain power being spent on their products, and that was a decision they made. But maybe that's something that helps us understand the last couple of years of Apple products better. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to overstate it, but I also can't wave it away because I think it's it's possible. And like I said, I've heard from a couple of people who have who have connections to Apple who've said that 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 has been a perception as well that some the people have been distracted with with a new campus so uh, how big a deal it is don't want to blow it out of proportion don't want to ignore it right so i want to I want to just say it struck me in reading Stephen levy's article wow they they did they did spend a lot of their brain power uh, worrying about a lot of the details of it but the fact is now this thing is going to stand for a long time and so I get why you want to invest some time in it because then you're stuck with it right so the last thing you want to do is say well you know I could spend a little more time on this light change to the iphone or uh, that that will ship for two years and then be done or (laughs) i could do this thing that will be in this facility for the next hundred years that's i get it i get it um the the idea of steve jobs this being his last product also was it it hit me kind of emotionally more than i was expecting i've
0: been sad i've been thinking about this a lot and it's made me quite sad over the last few days
1: Well, I mean, not only does the article say clearly that this is the, of all the things Apple talks about, like Steve Steve said, don't think of what Steve would do, make your own products, take Apple forward. The one place where that seems to not be true is building Apple Park. Apple Park, everybody viewed as Steve's legacy. They felt like Steve was in the room with them. They were working with Steve on all of this. This is He put huge amounts of the end of his life into this. They wanted to make it something that Steve would be proud of, and that they felt like this was essentially the monument to Steve Jobs' legacy. They They... Levy tiptoes around the discussion it sounds to me like somebody really offered to Steve Jobs's family that they call it the Steve Jobs campus and they felt uncomfortable with that and suggested uh, somebody suggested that they name the theater after him because that's where the product events are going to be and he was so famous for that but it sounds like uh, regardless of the naming you know this is a monument to Steve Jobs and it's his last product and then the saddest note whoever wrote the headline. What a great headline! The headline of this story is one more thing, because oh. oh. this is it. This is the last Steve Jobs product. At
0: least they didn't call it one last thing, <laughs> right? Which I'm sure was also on the 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 naming yep. board. But uh... yeah,
1: so you know, it's it, it's an amazing. I, I can't wait to see this place because it just sounds bananas. <laughs> um, I cannot wait. To see it, it I did. Did I mention that on this show that I did an overlay of because it's like a forty-five acre site or something. I forget what it is. It's 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 huge. I grew up in the in the the middle of nowhere, and we had forty-two acres, mm-hmm. and you could just walk. You know, I would just walk back and up a hill, and there's just like hills, and there's nothing there. We had that. The house was right on the on the front on the road, and then there was just you know, hills and trees and cows and things. And I realized you could put almost the entire large property, barns and fences and horses and cattle inside the ring of Apple Park. <laughs> inside the ring, like not like on the site, but in the ring, it is it's so mammoth. huge. It's mammoth. And then there's all this detail. I'm fascinated by all of it. I hope to see it sometime and, and get to see this thing because it will be a, a pretty wild thing. And then, you know, and then then history will judge it. And I, I think it will be, um, that's what happens when you, when you have a big idea is history will judge it. It'll be judged as being too expensive or over-designed or full of mistakes, or it'll be judged as incredibly influential, um, but it will be judged and it will be thought about. And I think that is also true of anything that you do that is great is you strive for greatness you may not make it i'm not saying this is going to be, go down in history as one of the great buildings i'm just saying that you you have a chance to be considered and critically appraised if you go for it and uh they totally went for it um so it's it, it just fascinating i can't wait to see it the no. only other thing i w- i wanted to mention before before we move on is um i put a line in in a in in my piece in macworld about it that just mentioned that i think That when I was thinking about it and reading the story, I had that moment of, uh, and having just seen Amazon's new uh, stuff that they're building in Seattle uh, downtown, that it is, I have a problem with big companies in general, not just tech companies, building huge work spaces in suburban areas with poor transportation infrastructure because what it means is that a lot of people have to drive and it fills up the roads. It affects where you can live. Uh, it, it can make it harder for people. They have to have longer commutes in order to find places where the cost of living is acceptable. And the advantage that building in an urban area has is that there is not that urban areas that cities are cheap to live in because they're not, but that they tend to have the most regional planning is about getting commuters from outlying regions where it's cheaper to live into the city center to work and so the commute structure builds up and therefore my example is i used to work in a suburb and live in a different suburb and it was the worst commute of my life and then they moved our offices to a city center and my commute changed but the commute got better the as an aside my lunches got better because there were way more stuff places to buy lunch than there was when I was in the suburbs, and there was nothing around but a a supermarket. Go to the deli and get a sandwich. Ooh. Um, but you know the biggest thing was the options for where I could live and have a survivable commute got a lot better, and. So when I think about Apple building in Cupertino, which is not really a great place in terms of transit, the transit planning was never about putting trains in Cupertino, like Mountain View's got, got Caltrain close by and Santa Clara has uh, the the Santa Clara light rail and is going to have, you know, BART is going to connect at some point maybe, but Cupertino is kind of not close enough. So Apple runs a lot of buses just like Google does. And I just had that moment of like, wouldn't it have been interesting if Apple did or if Google did what Adobe did, which is build a bunch of high rises in downtown San Jose and say, we want to be part of the city. And this way our employees can drive or take transit. And San Jose's transit infrastructure isn't as good as San Francisco's. And I think it's worth at least thinking about that. But in the end, and people freaked out, they're like, oh, no, cities are terrible. Suburbs forever and and especially people who work in silicon valley were very resistant to this because they're used to it they just they're used to that and i think maybe can't see outside themselves um and that's fine but what stopped me is apple is a suburban company just like microsoft in redmond like apple's front, steve jobs is from the suburbs they built the, the the garage was in the suburbs apple's always been in the suburbs i can't picture apple picking up and moving to san jose or san francisco i just can't i can't picture it i can't this is uh, this campus is apple it is in apple's dna it is to bring it back to steve jobs the expression of how steve jobs saw apple now i'm sure apple's got a lot of programs to try to tie in their workers to whether it's the buses on the freeway or tying them into transit. I'm sure they're trying, they've got a target number that they're trying to get to a percent of, of the people who use transit. But Silicon Valley is a very expensive place to live. And if you have to drive, that is uh, not, the traffic is really bad. It's, it's, there's lots of issues there that might be different if you were in a, in a more city environment with better transit options. The fact is it wouldn't be Apple. I can't imagine it. Just like I can't imagine Microsoft picking up stakes in Redmond And building a bunch of high-rises in downtown Seattle, where the transit infrastructure is better. I just can't see it. So in the end, I think it's worth thinking about it. And considering that other businesses, like Twitter is a good example of that, and Amazon is investing in this. And even, like, Apple's got space in South of Market, San Francisco. It's just not central. Google's got a building South of Market in San Francisco. So they've got, like, presences, but... In terms of like the DNA of these companies, and Apple in particular, this is what what they are. Apple is a Cupertino company, and, and Apple Park is a representation of that identity. And I can't imagine it really being any other way. So, you know, in the end, I kind of came all the way around.
0: I think something coupled with this that I think is really frustrating is um, something that was called out in the article, and I've seen a lot of people talking about, is the fact that there are no childcare facilities inside of this mammoth building apple have created i feel like that this would have helped a lot of young people and young families especially when they're paying really high rental costs anyway to have something provided by the company so they have a solution for their children Uh, whilst you know there is something that again i don't have kids so i can't really speak to a lot of this but something that I, i find awkward in the idea of like taking your kid to work and putting them in the childcare, like, and then the company is looking after the children while you're working fourteen-hour days. Like, there is, a, I don't know, there's something that that makes me shift a little bit about that. But I know that for so many people, there are no other options, right? So this is why this should exist. I find it really disappointing that Apple have created a brand new campus and haven't haven't well, decided to to, to give for some facility like this.
1: I'm on the fence about this because of detail. Uh, like, I don't know the detail of it. I don't know what all the benefits are about Apple and childcare. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you, but like, you know. And, and and most tech companies, it seems, and large companies don't offer it. But I, I, I share the disappointment because I think you could argue that the providing onside child care is sending a message that parents of young children, especially are welcome here are, are welcome to do their jobs. Yep. Um. Are, are we want you to be able to continue doing your jobs. We don't want to, because it leads to a feeling like this company is hostile to being a parent. Right. Like I, like if you're, and, and you know, one of the net results of that is if you're a woman who wants to have a kid and wants to, maybe wants to breastfeed the child, for example. Like, it, it's very easy to look at your company's policies and be like, they don't want me to have a have a child here. So if I wanna if I wanna do that, I'm not gonna work here anymore. And that's that's not a great thing if you're trying to increase the you know retain your female employees but even for men i mean it's for parents in general it's saying we don't want this that said okay i am also they're building a big gym there right and they've got a big food facility i am also a little uneasy about the tendency of silicon valley companies to build uh build these spaceships (laughs) like this campus that are designed for the employees to never have to go home you can eat here, you can work out here, you can do your laundry here, whatever, never leave. You can right? check
0: out whenever you like, but you can never leave, right? <laughs> Welcome to Apple Park, California. Yeah, or
1: the Googleplex or whatever, right? We never leave. And having your children be on site is like, well, now you really never have to leave because you know never even have to go get your kid. Um, but I don't know what their benefit is. I don't know if their childcare facilities near the campus, Um there, there may be issues. I heard from somebody who suggested that, um, and I thought it felt like kind of excuses, but just to get the mindset of it, I heard from somebody who said that there was a concern about um, childcare being a distraction if it was on campus, that people were going to the childcare to check on their kids. Um, my argument would be, Set a policy. You got a manager. I I I generally don't like it when the excuse to not offer an employee something is because then you would have to manage set a policy and manage your employees.
0: Yeah, it's like, geez, you want to chain people to their desks so they can't go take yeah. breaks, right? Like,
1: like we can't we can't we can't offer them something because they might walk away from their job and not do it for a while. Whoa. It's like, well, make them make them not do that. Then set a policy about it. Don't say we're going to just not provide any benefits for you because we don't want you. You might be distracted by them. We're not going to have a break room because you might be distracted by by it. You probably should have a break room and a policy or the internet. Exactly. Right. So I don't know. It's a complicated issue. It is a little bit disappointing, but I can see that there's probably a lot of other things going on. I, I think juxtaposing with the gym is a little bit weird, but at the same time, I do have an uneasy feeling about that we're going to keep you trapped here. Like, well, you could go to the gym somewhere else, but we don't want you to ever leave campus. Then again, as a work from home person, I tend to do my activity in the middle of the day, right? I start work a little bit earlier and then at 11 o'clock or one o'clock or whatever, then I go out and do my, you know, walk the dog or go for a run or whatever, and so I can see the rationale of like, we would rather you take a break in the middle of the day and go work out and then and be reinvigorated when you go back to work. We'd rather you eat in our cafeteria and not have to go get your car and drive somewhere and drive back. It's like, it's too much. We're going to make it easy for you. So I guess what I'm saying is, I think it's a complex issue that maybe has been oversimplified, but there's a lot... I, I, it, I have a lot of uneasy feelings about a lot of aspects of it on not just the childcare, not being there, but also things like the, uh, the, the, the big gym being one of those yet another thing that keeps you inside. Cause I think, I think the ultimate goal, and I, I don't mean it to sound this nefarious, but you know, the ultimate goal is you enter the spaceship and you stay there, you know, you enter when it's early in the morning and you stay there until it's dark. And your entire life is lived inside the campus. And then you emerge from it. Maybe if it's still light out, you emerge blinking into the light. But you know, you're know you in this other world when you're in there and it's kind of hermetically sealed. Your food's in there, your workout's in there, your shower room's in there, everything's in there. And that can be great for focusing, but it can also be a little bit like we don't want the rest of the world to intrude on our employees when we're getting our work out of them which is great if that's what you want as an employee but it's also
0: it also feels kind of a little oppressive so i don't know it's a choice this episode of upgrade is also brought to you by PDF pen from smile pdf pen equips you with everything that you need for more powerful pdf editing and some amazing news the new pdf pen 9 is now available and it is the ultimate tool for editing your pdfs You can upgrade to PDF Pen 9 right now to go totally paperless and enjoy over 100 enhancements that will improve your PDF editing workflow. PDF Pen 9 comes with a selection of great new features like the ability to add notes, comments and cloud annotations to your PDF documents. You can fill out and sign interactive PDF forms. You can access annotations and their contents in a new sidebar and you could also copy annotation content as text as well. You can also find and highlight all instances of a word which is really useful and this is all this is all powered by OCR, which is something that Smile really bake into PDF Pen Pro 9. For example, there is now OCR support for Chinese, Japanese, and Korean as well, with PDF Pen Nine, you can edit your documents wherever you are. You can just use iCloud or Dropbox for totally seamless editing. You can get everything you need for more powerful PDF editing right now by going to SmileSoftware.com/upgradefm. At SmileSoftware.com/upgradefm, this is a truly fantastic application across all platforms that I use every single day. Thank you so much to PDF Pen from Smile for their support of this very program and hashtag AskUpgrade. Okay, we start off this week, uh, Oplayers asks, now that they live stream the keynote, is there an advantage, Jason, to attending in person? Um, well, you get to see everything 30 seconds
1: before everyone else. Uh, um, you get to see people that you know uh, and don't know before and after. And usually there's access to other things uh, afterward. Usually they have some area... Uh, Either an open press area or a series of appointments in order to get your hands on new stuff. So, um, you know, but it's less it's less of a big deal than it was when it wasn't live streamed. It's Mm -hmm. true.
0: But you know, I guess that there are it's nice to be in the environment as well, right? like there are just some niceties to that, um but I guess the real the real benefit does come from if there is a press room to see stuff in the hands on area like if and when they exist at events, I guess that's where the real benefit comes from from being in person now, right, because you might get to touch a product that's not going to be out for six months so Wes asked uh. I want to get my dad either a Google Home or an Echo and not sure of the strengths of each. He's a Prime user. What do you think?
1: Well, I'd say wait.
0: (laughs) I would agree with that, Um, actually. Yeah,
1: Wait, wait. See what's going on. I mean, because if your dad has Apple stuff and there's an Apple product, that might be better. If he's a Prime user you know it, it depends on what ecosystem you're deepest into if he's a heavy google user google home might be better if he's a prime user echo is going to be better um, you can get one cheaper uh, yeah yeah it depends it, it it really depends right now if i had to say bottom line i'd say get an echo but uh, that is cha- could change rapidly and it, and if you're leaning toward one ecosystem or another that could be enough to sway you
0: yeah the home is in, is improving a lot right but um The Echo is really great right now. But as you say, who knows what's just around the corner. I mean, if you can wait, like, three weeks, wait three weeks. Yeah. That's what I would say. James asks, is there any possibility that Apple might ship the fancy unicorn iPhone at WWDC because it will be closer to the 10th anniversary ship date? No. I don't think so. (laughs) There's, like, a whole industry built around September, right? Like, this is more than just Apple. We'd also know if it was shipping we'd know
1: and and they do they do the fall event and the fall event makes sense and it works for them and they get them at that point and it doesn't yeah it's a it's a fun idea but it's on the level of that date that they spotted in in the uh in the board at WWDC last year
0: and on which nothing happened uh, something happened it just had nothing to do with anything yeah um, if the next iPhone is only going to be 5.1 inches, as some rumors suggest, would Mike be okay to go down in screen size? I've been thinking about this a lot, right? Because This is Brent, listener Brent, upgrading Brent. Of so course, upgrading Brent. Thank you, Brent. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot, right? Because whilst this phone would be bigger than the iPhone 7 in screen size, you'd get more screen size. It's less than the Plus, which I've come accustomed to. But my feeling about the Plus has kind of been twofold. Um, I like a bigger screen, but I also like to have what I consider to be the best iPhone. And in my opinion, the best iPhone is the bigger one. Um, some In the past, it's had more features. Um, in the past, it's had improved statistics, whether it be battery life or something like that. So for me, this next phone, it may be a little bit smaller, but it will probably be the best iPhone available. And for me, uh, best iPhone trumps screen being a little bit bigger. So I would be happy to go down a little if I'm going to be getting extra features, better features that's in the Plus model. Does that sound fair, Jason? Yeah, I think so. And
1: it's, uh, I mean, it's still a bigger screen and higher resolution. Mm -hmm. And so it may not be that much of a step down for you. I feel like for people who use existing iPhones, it'll be almost like getting a Plus screen in not
0: a bigger screen. objects. Yeah, I That's would expect cool. that it wouldn't feel like I was going down too much, or right? like I, I feel like it would be okay, but I, I don't think I would mind too much. So Patrick's written them was something that uh, I go through quite a bit. So I got an expac Patrick said, I got an Expedia flight receipt email. Gmail can add it to GCAL. Apple Mail doesn't. I thought this is a feature. So here's the thing about this stuff. So as a thing in uh in Apple Mail and in Apple's calendar app on uh on the iOS devices. I think it's probably on the Mac too, but I know it's on the iOS devices, where it can see certain events including hotel bookings and flight bookings, and can either suggest them to you in mail to add them to your calendar, or you open the calendar app and you check the little, there's an inbox on the bottom right hand corner, at least on the iPad app, where it will show you invites, like if you get invites to regular events, as well as like these proactive things. Hey, we found this in your inbox. This is super unreliable, um, and it seems to only really reliably work with certain providers, right? So, like, for example, if I book a flight with British Airways, no problem. If I book a flight with Virgin Atlantic, cannot find it. Um, And there are certain uh, hotel providers and aggregators that it works with and some that it doesn't. So one, there is a condition that you need. The email has to be in your mail.app, I believe inbox, but it has to be loaded into mail.app for it to find it, right? Like it can't just be in the server, like the mail, the local app has to know it's there and then it can pick it out. When this works, it's great. When it doesn't, it's not so great. And this is a win for Gmail because Gmail works pretty much all of the time from uh, my yep. experience and from other people's experiences. I do find it's really frustrating because I keep this uh, travel calendar of mine in iCloud, so I find myself doing a lot of manual entry where I really wish that my calendar uh, application was smart enough to be able to pick this up more often than it does. So this is a feature of Apple's system, but it is a very unreliable one. And finally today, Matt asked, will Apple address the number one problem that I have with Siri that pushes me towards its competition, its infuriating personality? So, personally... I don't think Siri's personality is going away because it's something that Apple was, has built around it. And it's not the only one with a personality. You know, like Cortana, I believe, has, has a quite a strong personality. And then uh, the Amazon and Google, their voice assistants, have it to a point, right? It depends what you're asking. Like, for example, you can ask your Echo to bark a meow which Adina found accidentally, it misheard her one day, and the Echo just started meowing, and she's like, what is going on? Uh, So that's a thing that it it can do. So it has this stuff in it. Um, I don't think that Apple's going to remove the personality of Siri. Um, I think there's a possibility they may tone it down, but I believe it will always remain in some instances. But I think that they shouldn't remove the personality as much as they should just improve accuracy and ability because if the accuracy and ability of Siri is improved the personality will be more palatable when it's giving you the information that you need and it's doing it well and in ways that you expect it to the fact that it might throw a bit of sass in or a joke every now and then might make the whole thing feel better rather than worse do you know what I mean? Yeah, I I, and I
1: agree with you, I don't think it's going to happen I think they feel that this is part of their thing
0: like Siri has this way about her slash him
1: yeah this is this is Siri and that's a feature not a bug
0: <laughs> so yeah but I, I do think that if they can make Siri more advanced they could make it smarter then its personality will become less less annoying for us so and I hope that WWDC brings some of that that's something that I've really got my eye on and if Apple really wants to play in this space there are there are things that they really should be doing. Not not necessarily say that they're behind, although I think I personally feel that they are. But not to say that they are. But I think that they need to be ahead, as well as just catching up in certain areas, uh, because of where they are right where and where their competitors are right now. Alright, so as we mentioned at the top of the show, next week is going to be the Upgrade WWDC Keynote Draft. If you have any suggestions of rumors that you would like to see included for the potential for me and Jason to pick for our draft picks, tweet them to me. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E on Twitter. Jason, if you want to catch up with what his work, he is at jsnell. J-S-N-E-L-L and he's at sixcolors.com and incomparable.com as well. I want to thank Encapsula, MailRoute, and Smile for supporting this week's show. If you want to find our show notes, go to relay.fm Slash uh, upgrade one four two. Don't forget to go and check out uh, the uh, WWDC uh, benefit for App Camp for Girls, which has links in the show notes for that. So you can come and say hi to real AFM people, but also listen to some great music and support App Camp for Girls, which is an awesome thing if you're going to be in WWDC. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Mr. Snell. Goodbye, everybody.